If I had to rank questions I get from the Anacrusic community, well, there's always a few that come back again and again. And one of them is always from eager new teachers or teachers new to sequencing who are like, this is amazing, but how do I do it with older kids? And y'all, I get it. When you first start to implement a meaningful scope and sequence, it's easy to get your feet off the ground with the itty bitties because you quite literally start at the very beginning because it is a very good place to start. Thank you, Maria Von Trapp. But perhaps one of the trickiest questions, you know, alongside of how do you solve a problem like Maria, is how do you do this, the sequencing thing, with the big kids? You're listening to the Anacrusic Podcast, episode 105, and today we're talking all about sequencing for older beginners. Hi, I'm Ann Molesky, and I've helped music teachers just like you get more intentional in their classrooms through my trainings, curriculum, and tips shared on this podcast. The truth is, teaching music is hard. You have a bunch of kids to teach and not a lot of free time to figure out how. Feeling overwhelmed and frustrated is totally normal. But here's the good news. It only takes a few simple steps to flip the script. And although it may be simple, it's definitely not easy unless you have the right toolkit. So let's start tuning and transforming your music teacher life right now. The actionable steps you need to find the purpose, follow a sequence, and choose joy are right here. This is the Anacrusic Podcast. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to just take a hot minute and make sure that you've, number one, checked out the brand new Anacrusic website and that you've snagged your copy of The Planning Playbook, which is my brand new guide for teaching anything and everything in the music classroom. This guide gives you a complete outline for how I teach all the concepts in my classroom, all while promoting student engagement and independent musicianship. This isn't a prescribed method or something that you can only do in a face-to-face classroom, but instead it's a flexible framework that allows you to be the best teacher musician in any scenario you might find yourself teaching music to children in. To snag your free step-by-step guide complete with examples, head to anacrusic.com slash the planning playbook. Again, that's anacrusic.com slash the planning playbook, or just click the link in the show notes. I remember that first summer of training and how insanely pumped up I was to go implement all the Orfschul work things and all the Kodai pedagogy and how I was ready to literally do all the things. Truth be told, before that, I was just doing music class, whatever that means, with my kids and hadn't truly implemented a meaningful sequence that included exploration, discovery, and extension the way the learning sequence framework does. And so I was ready to get them all back on track whatever that was supposed to mean. So first off, trying to implement all the things, no matter what or when you've just learned something new, is almost always a recipe for disaster. It's always better to do just a little bit at a time, one small nugget of inspiration or change followed by another. But honestly, with the younger kiddos, I could do a lot more of a fresh start than with the older kids. The simple reason? I had all the songs, all the lesson segments, and all the perfect sequencing with the perfect rep to perfectly plan for the itty bitty kiddos. But with the older ones, well, let me tell ya, when I busted out Starlight Star Bright because we needed to start with So Me, I thought that my head would explode from the eye rolls across the room. 
But what do you do when you're starting out meaningful sequencing with your older kiddos? Or maybe they are behind from your ideal grade level objectives and you know that you want to lead them through a sequence, quote unquote, in the right order. Well, how do you start and where do you start? Well, if you feel completely lost on how to start implementing a well-sequenced curriculum map with your kids, here are my five tips to make sequencing with older beginners happen. The first tip is to meet your students where they are. If you have a deliberate scope and sequence, either one that you created or one that was bestowed upon you, then the odds are that you have, at the minimum, specific rhythmic and melodic elements you are expected to teach in each grade level. The hope, or ideal circumstance, is that you would take all of your students through these concepts in order, beginning at the earliest grade, be it kindergarten or whatever, that you see your kids. But if you are just starting to get more intentional with music literacy and fluency, your fifth graders might not have mastered the concepts that appear in the earlier grades. But also, the way that a sequence works is that the unknown builds upon the known, new concepts build up from those mastered, and music making draws from previous active music making experiences. So if we're dropped out of the sky into a third grade music classroom where students have never had any exposure to this style of teaching, what are we to do? The answer is not to just jump in with a third grade curriculum, at least when it comes to rhythmic and melodic concepts. If I think about my scope and sequence, third grade is heavy. There are lots of complex rhythms and rhythmic combinations. I begin to extend the pentatone and we get started with absolute pitch and that's literally the tip of the iceberg because there's other things like form and expression and more intricate modes of active music making to consider. I mean, are are you getting a little overwhelmed already? <laughs> well, stop, take a breath, and then think about how your kids, without any of the musical experience or training you have, might feel if we try to do all of these things at once. We have to meet them where they are. And that doesn't mean that you completely throw the third grade curriculum out the window. Yes, you still have assessments and benchmarks and all the other things that come along with just straight up being a teacher and age appropriate progress that we need to show. But it will be impossible for your students to be successful or more importantly, feel successful when they're overwhelmed. As an aside, I often really wonder if this very issue is the reason why self-efficacy in music tends to go down as students get older. Just because there's so much to tackle that can often feel like a major stressor for our kids, particularly if they aren't solid on foundational concepts, but that's a total tangent. So how do we meet them where they are? We start making music and we start making observations. We play games, ask them to complete simple tasks. Yes, even with steady beat and echoing so-me patterns and gradually add on to see where the sticking points may be. The good news is by the time your students are a little older, if you find the need to go back to some of those foundational concepts, they catch on quickly. And not to encourage you to move too quickly, but even if you need to pull a Maria and start at the very beginning, it will likely function as more of an accelerated sequence. The second tip I have for you is to use repertoire and resources that your students care about. A while ago, I had a very interesting conversation with another music teacher who said that they don't follow a particular sequence because they focus instead on the repertoire that they use in their classroom. And for the time being, we'll ignore my grounded belief that the repertoire you use in your classroom should determine your scope and sequence, a philosophy which in and of itself would disprove this colleague's first statement to me, but I digress again. But when I asked him to elaborate, he said that he didn't want to sing So Me all day with his kindergarten students and that they deserve to hear quote unquote real music. Again, this statement alone is a whole big fat 
can of worms for a lot of reasons that we don't have time to dig into on a 30-ish fingers crossed minute podcast. But let me just say this, I do not only sing So Me with my kindergartners. Now, is that the first melodic concept in my sequence? Yes. Do I therefore find excellent examples of that pattern and repertoire that is childlike and based in gameplay? Absolutely. Does that mean that's the only thing I ever do? No. First of all, remember that when we are looking at a sequence, we are looking at layers upon layers of conceptual knowledge. Not only are we layering melodic concepts with the next melodic concept or rhythms with other rhythms, we are layering both of those with elements of music such as form, harmony, and expression, and with each other. Again, it's a lot, but to imply that the focus of one grade level or quite frankly, even one lesson is going to be this concept or that concept and you'll only use that pattern, I'm literally bored just thinking about it. Now, you might be thinking, okay, so what do you use and what does this have to do with older beginners? My friends, one of the most important things you can use in your classroom is extractable patterns. Remember, if you haven't listened to my podcast about the learning sequence framework, TAP 102, that would be worth a listen to hear about why this is important. The short version is that in the LSF or the learning sequence framework, the time we spend on formal notation, the discovery moment, is a literal moment in the teaching process. And for that, we can surely use a smaller four-ish beat pattern to allow our students to discover the theory behind the concept we've been exploring. The rest is based in active music making. To this end, if we are focusing on extractable patterns, in particular with our older beginners, we can focus on finding songs games and activities that our students are interested in and excited about and want to engage with and are age appropriate that have extractable patterns that illustrate those concepts and skills in our scope and sequence. So that means if my third graders need to learn how to identify and create with So Me, I'm likely not going to sing Starlight and play a wishing game with the lights off and twinkle lights. Although, quite honestly, some third graders may be totally into that game that I play with my kindergartners. But instead, I'm going to find more age-appropriate repertoire to hook them with an appropriate extractable pattern to illustrate the concept. And that leads me to the third tip, which is to use layering to focus on those quote-unquote basic concepts. So if you heard me talk about repertoire and you thought, that's great, but what if I can't find an extractable pattern? there's a workaround and it's layering. Particularly if we're talking about those super duper early concepts like more limited tone sets, simple rhythms, or even steady beat, ostinati is your friend, are your friend. Ostinatos, ostinati, they're your friend. (laughs) So while it's important to say that layering in ostinati can be tricky if your students, shocker, haven't had an appropriate sequence leading up to adding multiple layers of multiple complexities, start simple and early. We're talking like steady beats and drones. And if students really aren't ready to do things in groups, you can always be your group of one and have your students do the opposite part. So maybe they take the song and you take the ostinato and then you throw it down, flip it and reverse it. Bonus points to you if you can name that pop culture reference. But anywho, note that sequencing an ostinato or ostinati is a sequence within a sequence, and here we go getting meta again. But those early concepts, those super foundational musical concepts, really lend themselves beautifully to creating either by you, the teacher, and later on in the learning sequence framework by students, but it lends itself to creating an ostinato that can pair with repertoire that your students are more excited and engaged with. So one of my favorite ways to do this is to take sort of my repertoire list that 
I have for any given concept for any given grade level. So continuing on with the third grade example, even though my students, if they are older beginners, may not be ready to do single pot in third grade, I can still use some of those super fun songs and games as the base layer for layering a steady beat or a simple rhythm ostinato above or below. Honestly, this is one of the most fun things to do for both you and your kids because it gives you the power to, first of all, unleash your own musicianship, teacher musician friend, but also to completely re-energize a song, game, or activity that you may have found stale in the past. I know that there's probably a couple of them out there. So this is literally something we could do an entire podcast or masterclass or course on doing, but it's something to really and truly consider. And another thing to really consider when you start to add layers to emphasize concepts is to add layers of active music making as well. So why use different modes of active music making? Well, aside from the fact that this is just a basic pillar of all things anacrusic, there are so many advantages to using and varying the modes of active music making with your older beginners. And there's three main reasons that I wanna touch on today. So the first is that when you take basic concepts, like if you are working with your fourth and fifth graders and they're working on Tan Titi or they're working on So and Me or they're working on something else that you would do in the very, very early grades because it's absolutely foundational to everything else you're going to do later on in a scope and sequence, how empowering is that to your older kids when they're able to do those more simple concepts successfully, but doing it in a way that makes them feel like their most musical selves. Because there are five different modes of active music making, there's probably more, but there's five big ones that I identify. And by using all of those different modes of active music making, by giving them opportunity to explore and create with each of those and different combinations of those together, there's so many different ways for them to feel like their most musical selves so that they can be their most musical student musician self, just like we talk about being the most musical teacher musician self that we can possibly be. And so I think that particularly when we're talking about older beginners and those early concepts, it's really meaningful if we can say, okay, you know what Tan Titi is, now go and make a body percussion pattern on it. Here are your choices. Or you know what So and Me is, here are your bard instruments, do So and Me, and then see if you can come up with another drone that goes along with it to make it really, really meaningful with this little melody that we learned. So there's all these different ways to make those basic elements not feel so basic. The second thing is exactly what I said. We want students to feel like their most musical selves. So not only do they have lots of opportunity to experiment and to create and to do music with all of those different modes of active music making, but hopefully they have some opportunity for choice within those experiences. So if one student is like, all about movement, then they don't feel like such a baby if they have to come in and do taunt titi, if they can figure out a way to make some really meaningful movement happen with it. If they absolutely love playing rhythm instruments, maybe they have an opportunity to do that instead. But as long as there's some student choice and student experience based in and around all of the different modes of active music making, I think that you can really unlock some potential with your student musicians, even with those basic concepts and the older grades. And the last reason is that the different modes of active music making have that built-in differentiation. So when we're talking about speech, when we're talking about singing, when we're talking about um, body percussion and different types of movement and different types of instruments that we're using in our classroom, we're talking about different modes of learning. We're talking about aural, visual, and kinesthetic, 
coming at all three of those from completely different directions and completely different combinations, depending on the type of active music making that we're doing. And then if you add in the other layer of iconic representation or formal notation um, and like group collaboration and composition and all that kind of stuff, like that's a whole other deal. So we have that built-in differentiation when we're using the different modes of active music making, which is super meaningful for our students as well. So why active music making? Because it allows our students to have that level up from those basic skills that maybe they know that their kindergarten friends or siblings are doing, but they get to do something a little extra special with it. They get to start to feel more like they're own musical selves when they have an opportunity to experience and create with the different modes of active music making. And it also helps us as teachers because we're coming at all of those different ways to differentiate instruction inside of our music classrooms. So the fifth and final tip of how to engage these older beginners in meaningful sequencing is to center joyful music making. And the golden rule here is that if you aren't having fun, they aren't having fun. If you don't feel like your teacher musician self, they don't feel like student musicians. If you're suffering through covering concepts just because it's on your big long scope and sequence to-do list, that isn't facilitating joyful music making. And I hate to say it, but it's likely contributing to some negative self-efficacy and lack of excitement and pure overwhelm when it comes to music and music making for both you and your kids. Now, I understand that we have things we have to assess and report and check off on our ever-growing list of things to teach and do. But what if that could become a byproduct of making meaningful musical experiences together? What if by meeting students where they are and thinking about the rep they would like and making it more interesting with new layers and new ways of expressing themselves musically, it just happened? Truth be told, I wish I could wave a magic wand and say that it would just happen, but the truth of the matter is that teaching older beginners and getting them on the path to musical fluency in a meaningful way in the proper order is tricky. But I also know that if we start slowly, meet the task with intention, and focus on community music making, we can move our students along the right trajectory to not only accomplish those curricular goals, but become lifelong musicians. Now, if this entire time you've been nodding and giving a yes and even an amen at how you've seen your students engage and how you wish that your older kiddos could just get it, make sure you head and grab that planning playbook in the show notes or at anacrusic.com slash planning playbook to get your free guide. Inside, I talk about the different stages of exploration, discovery, and extension so you can really see how quickly that literacy moment goes, and therefore, how these steps can work to really get your students rocking and rolling with independent musicianship inside of the learning sequence framework, no matter where they are starting. So before we say goodbye for today, let's take a hot minute and recap the steps to take if you're looking to really dive in and start getting intentional with your older beginners. First of all, meet them where they are on your curriculum roadmap. Don't automatically jump to where they're quote unquote supposed to be, but meet them where they are. Number two, start with songs, games, and activities that are age appropriate and that they will care about and be excited about. Tip number three, use the layering to focus on foundational concepts with that repertoire that they love. Number four, use as many different modes of active music making as possible to help your students feel like their most musical selves. And number five, choose joy each and every day in your classroom and with your students. That's it for this week, guys. Go snag your copy of the planning playbook and give me a shout on Instagram or in the Anacrusic Insiders Facebook group, and I will see you next time. 
Thanks for spending this little pocket of your day with me. I know music teachers are super strapped for time, so be sure to check out all the resources on anacoustic.com for today's episode. Don't forget to click subscribe wherever you're listening to today's podcast so you don't miss an episode of TAP. That way, you'll be notified each and every week when a new episode is live. And if you want even more tips and tricks delivered to your inbox, like a little love note from me to you, make sure you sign up for the Anacoustic newsletter and you'll be the first to know all the things. Also, if you are feeling today's episode, take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram and Facebook. And I'd love you forever if you take a hot minute and leave a review. See you next time.